Welcome to everyone joining us, both in the room and those joining us online as well. We just so appreciate you connecting with us here at Access Church. And uh, I just want to make a special mention of you who are doing that for the very first time. Uh, What a year to connect to a new church. And I know that some of you fit that category. And that's a very courageous thing to ever step into a church for the first time, but particularly at a time in a season like this. So thank you. You need to be congratulated for connecting right now. And for those of us who've uh, been around Actors for some time, it does feel different, yeah? It does feel different in this season of uh, social distancing and sanitising and pre-registration and all of those things. But I just encourage you to persist through the awkwardness of COVID right now because God has designed for us to live in community and we are better together. And there is a blessing attached to putting aside, aside time to come and connect with the people of God on a regular basis. God always honours that, that commitment we make to put aside time for him. And I'm sure there'll be a blessing for you this weekend, even within that. Uh, we believe here at Axis that our God is far more interested in our future potential than in our past mistakes that our God is so committed to our future. And this ought to give us great hope. No matter what lies in your past, God isn't into zooming in on them and making big of them. He's far more interested in investing in our future and giving us hope and forgiving us of our past and setting us free. And just us coming together in this time is our way of saying, "Here here I am, Lord. Here I am. Take my life afresh. Take me forward from this day and know in advance that God will always honour and bless that posture. I'm excited to enter into a new series. Who's who's ready for some new? We're all ready for some new at this point in time. Hey, we just saw a video taken in North Lakes down at the lake there, Lake Eden. And some of the Christmas feedback we're getting from people, if, if we kind of broke it into two, it fits pretty neatly into two. Christmas is about gifts. And Christmas is about family. Pretty much 50% of the responses reflected that. Only one person said Christmas was about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, you might think the first six letters of the word provide a clue. But yes, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, why would we celebrate someone's birth 2,000 years on? from when they were here. How can it be that a man way back there in history is still having influence today? I mean, are you expecting, if we're in 2020 now, are you expecting in the year 4040 that people will still talk about you and your birthday? Um, In all due respect, I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't expect that people will still be talking about me 2,000 years on. So why do we count Jesus worthy of attention and note and remembrance and worship even all these years on from his birth? Well, I happen to believe that the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is in and of itself the most world-shaping event ever. Jesus' arrival on this planet was that big. It's still making the world pause and take note 2,000 years on. Now someone will push back and go, give me a break, John. I mean, you have to say that. You're the preacher. You're just towing the company line by saying Jesus was influential. Yes, I'm biased. I can't deny that. But I think this goes beyond my personal bias. See, look at history. And what you'll see is person after person after person of of great influence, crediting their influence to their faith in Jesus Christ. 
There's so many people down through history in the 2,000 years since, uh, since his birth saying, I do what I do because of him. There are so many people that, that, that are influential in our culture's history that set up schools and universities and hospitals that say, my faith was the backbone of all that I did. John Wesley, who's the uh, head of our denomination or the, the starter of our denomination, was known for improving prisons and abolishing slavery. And still today, even in our own country, faith-based organisations account for 90% of the aid that we have going on in our country. Many, many, many people are claiming the inspiration of a carpenter born some 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem is still impacting their lives today. But who knows that our culture doesn't want to hear the message of Christmas right now. In a moment of stinging clarity, someone in my workplace said to me some years back, Jono, the only good thing about Jesus Christ is that I get some public holidays out of him. The only good thing about Jesus Christ is that I get some public holidays out of him. You might say, John, that's not clarity, that's downright disrespectful. Well, maybe it is, but I suspect that that kind of summarises how our culture thinks of Jesus. You can be at the church singing your Christmas carols, I'll be at the cricket drinking beer. The birth of Jesus some 2,000 years back is considered irrelevant by our culture. Those outside church don't have an appetite for the cause. Christmas is about whatever you make it. They're just happy to have the holiday. And they don't care about the reason underneath the holiday. Fascinating to me, we have a Queen's birthday holiday, but no one's thinking about the Queen on Queen's birthday weekend, right? And even more fascinating to me was to come to a new state this year and find that she's got a different birthday in Queensland <laughs> as to what she had in Victoria. Seems to just strengthen the point. The focus is not on the Queen. It's the public holiday that matters. It's the public holiday we care about. Just give me the long weekend. Well, people in churches lament these sentiments. And if ever Jesus was given re um, respect in the Christmas season, it's probably not now. And so we hear one of the cries come out of churches at this time of the year. As they look around at culture and see um, much being made of gifts and lights and Santas and reindeers, and, and they bemoan all these developments and they cry along these lines, stop the trend, stop the commercialisation and bring Christ back into Christmas. Bring Christ back into Christmas. I wonder if you've ever heard anybody say that. I wonder if you have said that your times. There's a push within the church looking out at culture saying we must bring Christ back into Christmas. If I have one goal this weekend is to make you engage with that statement. What do you mean by it? And if that's a claim that you are making yourself, are you willing to actually analyse your own life underneath that statement? What do we mean? Are we going beyond the surface level meaning there by saying, well, when I do a drive around of the Christmas lights, I would like to see less Santas and more mangers. Is that what it means to bring Christ back into Christmas or is there something more? What would it really mean to put Christ at the centre of our Christmas? Warning, deep waters ahead. 
I'm jumping in the deep end in this series. I'm starting on a very weighty theme. Ready or not, here it comes. Christmas is a time for sacrifice. Boom, boom, boom. I'm feeling a bit nervous about this talk, to be honest. That I should give it at all, how I should give it. I've wrestled long and hard about it. I just am concerned that you might go from this place or watching online even this weekend and go, I feel judged after listening to him. Please know from the outset, that's the furthest thing on my mind. It's not my heart at all, not even close. I don't want you to go from here feeling condemned or judged by me. Much of what I'll delve with into this talk this weekend is highly personal. It's my own journey. It's the track that I feel God has called my family to walk on. Some may apply to you. Some may not apply to you. Being a testimony means it's, it's, a, it's a story of what God is teaching me. You'll have to decipher for yourself which part you apply and which part you don't. I give you that full permission. Your response is just that. It's yours. You respond however God is leading you. But my conviction over the last four years is that I do really want to put Christ back into Christmas. And for me, I've come to the conclusion that means it's a time for sacrifice. I know it's weighty. I know you've entered this new series thinking, Christmas, woohoo, let's talk about Christmas. And can't we talk about celebration and freedom and hope? Yes, all of those topics are coming up in coming weekends. Christmas is all of those things. Today we're starting in the deep end of the pool. Christmas is a time for sacrifice. I, I give it now, a month out from Christmas, in the hope that the 1% who hear this, who are the early adopters, will grab a hold of these concepts and go, that's for me, I'm doing it, straight up. But for most of you, this weekend will be food for thought just for you to wrestle with honestly. But please understand my heart as I share. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm just laying on what God has laid on. I'm sharing what God has laid on my heart. We're going to pick up a reading from Philippians chapter 2, where we'll see a biblical foundation for this idea of Christmas being a time for sacrifice. And I'll, I'll just highlight three points in this passage and then I'll rush through and talk about my own testimony that sits alongside of that. As we enter Philippians chapter 2, it's always important to take note of context. What's going on? Why was this letter written? Nothing's random in your Bibles. It's all written to a particular people on a particular occasion to address particular issues. Now, we don't have time to go into all of the issues. Just know that in chapter 4... We, we, we read about this rip-roaring argument between two church members. So two church members are feuding. That's in chapter 4. It's messy. We won't be going there. You can look at it in your own time. We're in chapter 2. But the backdrop is two members are bluing and it's messy. And we may, need not be duped to think that, oh, if only I lived in New Testament times. If, I, if only I was involved in a church back then. I wish I was in the good old days like them. Well, there's no such thing as the good old days. Everything back there is just like it was now. The saints of old didn't glow in the dark. They had troubles just like we do every single 
New Testament church has issues. And it's why their spiritual parent, Paul, here has to write to them. And we start with this verse in Philippians 2.3. Don't be selfish. Why would you write that? Because that's what they were being. They were being selfish. They needed to grow up. They needed to mature. Now we've got the background. Let's pick it up. Philippians 2 verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try and impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And here's why these instructions make sense. Because of what went down on the first Christmas. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality of God as something to cling to. Instead, here's what he did. He gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form on that first Christmas, verse 8 says, He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honour and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bear in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. From this passage, we learn why Christmas is a time for sacrifice. It's the model of Christ with three key elements that I want to point out to you that have impacted my life and taught me that Christmas is a time of sacrifice. Why? Because on the first Christmas, Jesus forfeited his divine privileges. That's what we see so vividly in this passage. That's what Jesus did. In order to kickstart his earthly mission to rescue humanity, he gave up a ton. He set aside all his divine privileges and he came to serve. Verse 6 says he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. Can you imagine that tap on the shoulder in heaven? Who's going to go down? Who's going to go and do it? Imagine the shock of that conversation. Who's going to go and rescue that mob? They need help. What a horrific thought it must have been to leave heaven. Somehow it unfolded that God the Son took this role on himself. And as part of the triune God, Jesus knew what he was facing. He, he, He went out of perfection and entered into a broken and messy world. He left the God had unison and was thrust into a humanity where he was shown hate. He left the comfort of heaven's beauty and walked into the ugliness of earth. And he gave it all up willingly on the first Christmas when he came. You say Jesus was God and he gave all of that up to become a human. Well, no, he kept his divinity. He was still God. He just gave up his rights. He emptied himself of his entitlements, but he didn't give up deity itself. Jesus still had capacity then to overrule anything bad that was going on. He just chose not to. Verse 6 says he was fully God. He just didn't give up on some of his privileges. His sacrifice was far greater than that, though. He took on a lowly position, we read. The most vulnerable of all positions, actually. He comes as a newborn baby. 
On the first Christmas, Jesus sacrificed by embracing human limitations. Jesus embraced human little t- limitations. This isn't just about the strengths then he left behind. This is about the weaknesses that he picked up upon arrival. See the difference? He didn't just take off his heavenly crown. He took on a crown of thorns. It wasn't just a stripping off of privilege. It was an embracing of human limitations. As a newborn baby, Jesus was totally dependent, totally dependent. God allowed himself to be restricted. Amazing thought, isn't it? We've struggled with restrictions this year, have we not? God allowed himself to be restricted. God couldn't get from that side of the room to there without being picked up and carried. He's a newborn baby. Jesus walked through all the stages of human experience. He had to crawl before he could learn to walk. Imagine seeing Jesus crawl. The humility within that. All of our human struggles were his. He was thoroughly human. There's nothing then about our life that Christ can't relate to. If you're 10 years old and you're being bullied at school, Jesus has been 10. He knows what it feels like to make your way through life as a 10-year-old. Well, you're no longer a child, but neither you're independent either. To the 16-year-old who's got a bad case of acne, Jesus has been 16. Jesus knows what it feels like to be working out that stage of life. To the person 21 who's unsure about what they're going to do for their career, Jesus has been 21. Jesus has been through every human stage. And this wasn't some pretend thing. This was real. He walked through all of the human limitations we have. When he drank his thick shake too quick, the brain freeze (laughs) popped into his head as well. Jesus got a sore back after lifting furniture all day. Jesus felt hurt when others belittled him and spitted hate his way. There was nothing immune from Christ, the human Christ. Everything we face, he has faced. Although he remained fully God, he didn't exercise a privilege. He became fully human. And this matters because now we can relate to him because we are human. If he didn't become human, any connection we would feel to him would be superficial, but now it's not. If it was only a fake pretend arrangement, we couldn't really relate. We couldn't really tell him our human struggles. Would there be any point talking to the big guy in the sky if he doesn't really understand what it's like to be me? But oh, he does. He's been fully human. On the first Christmas, Jesus sacrificed by leaving behind divine privilege by embracing human limitations. But that's not all. On the first Christmas, Jesus sacrificed by knowingly engaging in suffering. The progression here in this text is quite remarkable when you stop and think about it. Jesus laid down his strength. Jesus picked up weakness. Then in verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Jesus walked into conflict knowing full well that heat was coming his way. If you you knew a friend was going to cause you a lot of harm and cause people to turn against you, you probably wouldn't have initiated that friendship. See, we're really good at self-protection, aren't we? If you knew your car was going to break down in the middle of a long trip, you wouldn't have started it. 
If you knew that you were playing a game and four opposition players were going to come and crunch you at the same time in a setup, which yes, happened to me once, you know what? I would have skipped that quarter, at least that passages of play, and not ended up in hospital. If we knew danger's coming, we avoid it. We, we protect ourselves. Jesus knew it was coming and he stepped in anyway. On the first Christmas, he took upon himself the sin of the world. Yvonne and I met while uh, serving on a street bus mission. We go out on the streets of Ichuka. Yvonne originally came on a visiting team, which is where we first met. I was already on the team. And we go out on the streets sort of between the hours of midnight and 4am when people were out partying. And the, the essential goal was to try and sober people up and try and tell them their life mattered. God loved them, actually. And so we give them cups of tea and coffee. I remember a particular night being there on the street, and it was only my second or third night. I was still a novice. And there was this huge guy, like 100 plus kilo, being taunted by this tiny little guy who is no, no more than 60 kilo. Now, I knew this, this big guy. I mean, I knew of him at least. I knew his reputation. I knew he was someone you didn't mess with because, you know, he wouldn't stop if he got a hold of you. And he's this humongous guy, and there's this little guy yapping, and they probably both had a bit to drink. And this little guy's just yapping, yapping, yapping at this big guy, and I knew he was about to unload and probably almost kill him. And so I stood in between them, being the wise person I was. It's like week two or three. And probably looking back now, the only thing that saved me and the little guy was that the police arrived on the scene right in that moment. And of course, split up the situation at two o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. I later asked the team leader, what should have I done in that situation? He said, anything but stand in the middle of them. <laughs> Jesus was the big guy. He could have taken down every form of opposition he came his way. When the soldiers came to pick him up and carry him off to the cross, he says, I can call 10,000 angels if I want to. But he didn't. He said, I'm not here to escape and have a pain-free existence. Jesus knew his mission involved suffering and he willingly walked into it. On this basis then, Jesus calls us, calls you and me to abandon selfish ambition on the basis of what he's done. I think it's a fair call. On the basis of the model he provided for us on the first Christmas, I think it's a pretty straightforward call to say, leave your life of luxury and ease and come and follow me. If I'm not sacrificing at all, I'm probably not following. Probably signifies something because if I'm following a leader and he jumps over a log, if I'm actually following, at some point, I'm going to have to jump over the log as well if I'm going to follow the trail. Otherwise, the other option is I stop following. We can decide to stop following if we want. It's not compulsory. Philippians 2 shows us what it would look like if we were following. But don't miss the point. It's mainly attitudinal. It's an attitude of sacrifice we need to go after. It's not a competition where I need to make sure my life looks worse than my neighbours. You know, I just drive a car that's one year older than them just so it looks like I'm suffering. No, that's not what this is about. That's not the win. The win is a mindset, a selfless mindset who, like Jesus, laid aside 
his divine attributes, took on the form of a man and willingly suffered for me. So Christmas, if I'm to follow, becomes a time for sacrifice. As we plug that into our modern Australian culture, maybe hold it up against how Australia does Christmas, I don't find it at all to be a neat and tidy fit. I find it to be a pretty severe clash, actually. Do nothing through selfish ambition has pretty much been replaced by do whatever suits you. So the call to critique our culture always remains, even at Christmas time. I didn't say criticise our culture, I said critique. There is a difference. We don't criticise our culture and be a nuisance and take our light of Jesus and shine it in people's eyes just to frustrate and annoy them. No, but we are called to live differently as the people of God. And this difference shows up in the Christmas space, absolutely. We must always ask, whatever activity we're involved in, how does this activity relate? to the pages of the Bible, to God's instruction to me handed down through the Holy Scriptures. For example, family. We heard on the video, some people say Christmas is a time for family. Absolutely. The Bible affirms family. Culture says the same. Take care of your family. Spend time with your family. Honour your family. So does the Bible. No problem there. Where it gets complicated is when we hold something up against the Bible and go, whoops, Daisy. Here I strike a vast difference. And I think with some of our Christmas activities, if, if they're promoting consumerism and greed and waste even, we need to hold that up and go, oh, there's a clash. What do I do with that? Jesus sacrificed so much of himself. If I'm doing that, would my Christmas look more like his first Christmas. Back in 2016, I became disturbed, super disturbed. I spotted major problems in the way my family did Christmas. Not one or two little ones, fundamental ones. My Christmas practice stunk. It was a promotion of consumerism and greed and, yes, waste. It was. Not intentionally, but I have no doubt that was the outcome of our situation. Much of what was given on December 25th, sadly, was in op shops three months later. Or worse, landfill. I had this moment of clarity amidst the madness of December 25th in 2016. It was my Abigail and Annabelle, at the time six and four, running from one present, tearing the paper off that, to the next present, tearing the paper off that, to the next present, tearing the paper off that, without even stopping to actually look at the gift and without actually stopping to identify who gave the gift. And I was horrified. And I saw clearly a picture of consumerism and greed and waste because if you're honest, well, I had to be at the time, much of what I received on December 25th within three months or six months was in a garage sale or an op shop or worse. None of it was needed. And I could have just responded to that and said, well, they're six and four. Of course they're going to respond like this. What else would you expect from a child on Christmas morning? That's true. But for me, something deeper was going on. It was a trigger for me to take a helicopter view of how I did Christmas. 
and it wasn't pretty. I thought about how I did Christmas compared to that of my next door neighbours and I realised the only difference is I pray for 30 seconds before eating a gigantic meal that would really be sufficient for four days in an hour. And I found something dreadfully wrong with that picture. So shouldn't my life look far different if this is Jesus' birthday? The only difference was I stopped to pray for 30 seconds before eating. Christmas, in hindsight, was more like my birthday than Jesus. And I think we have to reconcile with this. Whose birthday are we celebrating? And that's the question that began to haunt me. If it were Jesus' birthday, why don't I act more like it? Why don't I do things that would honour Jesus if it was Jesus' birthday? Like, I expect people to honour me on my birthday. And as a family, we make really big deal of birthdays. Yvonne mentioned when I married her, just a word of warning, this is like a month in advance before our, her birthday, just a word of warning, my family make a big deal of birthdays. Now, married men, that's a warning shot <laughs> if ever you've been given one. So we became radical. We stopped giving gifts to each other. We stopped spending money on things we didn't need. But we didn't just get anti-Christmas. It was a shift focus. We began putting all that money aside and reinvesting it somewhere where it really was needed. So for the last few years, Yvonne and I have been serving people in need on Christmas Day and loving it. I remember the first year where we actually did this and bear in mind my kids are like four and six, five and seven maybe at this time. So like the best they can do probably is peel a carrot and they were coming and going. They weren't there for a solid you know, eight hours while we were preparing meals and so on. But they got to drive with us and deliver meals and knock on some doors of some families and say, here's, here's a meal. And at nine o'clock that night, the first Christmas we did this, I looked at Yvonne exhausted after cooking and delivering meals all day. I said, I think I just discovered Christmas. I think I just discovered Christmas. This week is the birthday of my daughters, Abigail and Annabelle. Same day, two years apart. Extraordinary. We make a huge deal of their birthday because it's their birthday. We've got lots of gifts for them already. We honour them. I'm actually starting annual leave on their birthday because I want to make such a big deal of their birthday. I want to be there to take them to school. I want to take them out to their favourite restaurant after school. I want to let them choose whatever they want. It's their day. It's the day to spoil them. It's their birthday. Imagine if I burst into their room at sunrise on their birthday and said, so what did you get me? What have you got planned for the day? Where's my card? Where's my cake? What special events have you got lined up for me? I think they might say, Dad, it's not your birthday. Why would we do that on your birthday? On, on a day that's not your birthday? Why would you expect royal treatment when it's not your birthday? Christmas. 
for those of us who belong to Jesus, who say we are followers, wouldn't the King of Kings and Lord of Lords be worthy of attention on his birthday? Enough of the heavy talk, John. Some of you are saying, to me, Christmas is about family. It is about socialising. It is about gifts. It is about playing cricket in the backyard. It is about all of those things. That's what Christmas is for me. You know what? I'm actually really cool with that. No problem whatsoever. You don't answer to me. Use December 25th however you want. I've only tried to give voice to the personal challenge I've been dealing with. I have no problem with you seeing the world differently to me. Here's one problem I do have. Just one. If you're the critic looking around at our culture saying, put Christ back into Christmas. And I turn that challenge on you. And I say, use your own logic. Are you treating Jesus on December 25th like it's his birthday? Are you doing things that honour him? Because that's what it would mean, surely, right? To put Christ back into Christmas. I just really want you to begin a conversation this Christmas. And it's about a step. What's the next step for me and my family in this journey? How can I move towards, they're key words, how can I move towards putting Christ back into Christmas? I I actually don't suggest a swing from here to here. You'll create a lot of conflict. It took us many, 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 many conversations to arrive at our place, uh, arrive at this place, both between Yvonne and I and also explanations to our kids in why things are different at school compared to what we do in our family. And it, not all of it has been hard. It's been really, really, not, not all it's been easy. Sometimes it's been really, really hard. You get what I mean? Please don't cancel your Christmas plans on my behalf. That's not the point. That's not the point. But what would it mean for you to begin a journey of putting Christ at the centre of your Christmas? My hope is a seed's been planted in your spirit about this. And you might begin conversations with your family. It's not just what you think. There'll be some lengthy chats Involved Because in many Australian families, I recognise what I'm talking about is a major, major, major culture shift. And you need to build a ramp to it over time. Don't expect to change without any pushback. There'll probably be plenty of pushback. You'll get misunderstood and questioned and even criticised. But I do invite you to join with me in some small way, deciding to put Christ back at the centre of your Christmas. Would you stand with me for prayer? Jesus, you are so worthy, so worthy, so worthy of our attention, of our love, of our adoration. And help us all grow, not just on December 25th, but each and every single day. Help us all grow towards this place where we can say, Jesus, be at the centre. Jesus, take up your rightful place. 
You are the Lord. You do deserve my worship. And we bring it to you in this moment.